Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Green and Mulner show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Me and Sam have just concluded a podcast, a positive podcast with the Chronicles' Aaron Stokes and Sam. Aaron's been on before, however, mm. we always seem to have great positive conversations with him because Newcastle do amazing. So it was good to have a bit of a catch-up really, wasn't it? It was. Um, we, we ran into him at King's Cross on the weekend of the cup final, didn't we? And um, I did the Everything is Back and White um, podcast with him, filling in for Andy Musgrove uh, after the Forest game. Um, so we were chatting after that and I said to him, well, when are you coming back on with me and Johnny? And he said, whenever you want. So I says, how about next week? And lo and behold, here we are. So yeah, uh, good dude. All, always really good to talk to. Um, really good, uh, really good journal. And uh, yeah, we look at the the present and the future. What um, what's going to happen this summer? It's going to be a huge, huge summer for Newcastle United, especially if we qualify for top four. So um, we're going to need more than Vernon and Eater, as we keep on saying. Uh, if we are going to, I mean, it's pretty safe to say we're going to be playing some form of European football next season, aren't we? Um, whether that's Conference League, Europa League, Champions League, that remains to be seen. And we've got a big couple of months left of the season to uh, to determine that. But yeah, um, so it's a really good, uh, really good show for you um, with the two of us with Aaron. I bet you can't wait to watch European football on ITV too, Sam. Ah, that's showing my age, isn't it? That's what it was back in the day when um, we were last in the Champions League. Because ITV4 wasn't even a thing, was it? So I a Champions League on ITV2 and then the Euro, the UEFA Cup, as it was still called then, was on uh, Channel 5. And I even watched, uh, when we played Mallorca at home, Samueletto's Mallorca, that was on BBC3. Fun fact. Fun fact. One-off. Complete one-off. Well, you know, I'm not gonna. I, w- I wouldn't have complained as long as you can watch, especially on terrestrial TV. You're gonna be, you're gonna be happy with it anyway. Um, oh, yeah, we but yeah, battered them as well. We did. No, but the good thing was with uh, with Aaron, he can obviously talk from a fan's point of view, but from a journalistic point of view, it's obviously very, very difficult to do. So when Newcastle weren't doing well, so when Newcastle are doing well, it must be an absolute pleasure. The last two years must have been, well, the well, last eighteen months, shall we say, it must have been an absolute pleasure doing his job. And it's not a chore, so it must be absolutely incredible for him right now. But he has some great thoughts and great opinions on Newcastle this season, the cup final, which was obviously an incredible experience. Obviously, not the the outcome, but again, the positivity. I can't keep on saying it. It's just it's just unbelievable right now. And by the sound of things, I'm not going to spoil it too much. It just seems to be continuing with 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 what's going to happen in the summer. Hopefully, so. Yeah, I mean, by the time the audio pod comes out, it could have like been dampened a bit if we get our asses handed to us by Man United, Brentford and West Ham. Um, so let's not speak too soon. But hopefully things are all still going swimmingly. Uh, and we, we we would have had a wonderful night in uh, in in East... Is it East London, West Ham? East, East, East London, yes. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, hopefully we would have had a, a wonderful time there. So, uh, yeah, hopefully. 
as as Aaron alludes to, spoiler alert, um, that we tend to always do okay once we've had one of these um, warm weather training camps. So uh, fingers crossed, the form continues. I'm sure it will. It's funny actually because I'm actually at, at all three of these games. I'm at the Man United game, obviously with the season ticket. I'm at West Ham, and I'm at Brentford as well. So that's uh, going to be an interesting six days or so watching Newcastle. But yeah, two trips to the capital and. Obviously, Man United on Sunday is going to be. It's going to take a lot out of us, I think. But I can't wait. And I'm at Villa, believe it or not. So if you, if you, if you see me and Sam at West Ham, want to say hello and talk about the podcast, by all means, say hello. Tell us who you want on. We'll try our best. And I'm at Villa as well. While you're the talking about the Grand National, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I won't be at Villa because it's Grand National Day. So it's the one day a year I can't get off work, which is a, a shame as how that's landed. But um, say la vie. Say la vie. Well, I think it's about time we get this. <laughs> I think it's about time we get this podcast up and running because I'll tell you what, if you if you want to listen to Newcastle United being really good and hopefully even be even better in the next couple of years, this is the podcast for you. This is the Greenwood and Mulliner Show with Aaron Stokes. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today Sam and I are joined by a returning guest, a man who we love talking all things Newcastle United about. A man the last time we spoke to was talking positive things about the club, positive things off the pitch and positive things on the pitch. And do you know what? Nothing has changed. So we've, we've invited Aaron back onto the show. So it's a big welcome to Aaron Stokes from the Chronicle and a big hello to you. How are you? Yeah, very good, boys. Pleased to be back on. Um, pleased that all my predictions about Newcastle becoming a dominant force have came true since the last time I was on the show. <laughs> it's certainly, they certainly have, and we're recording this as Mr. Yassir Al-Rumayan was just kind of going through the PIS wealth. And it's it's it was scary in terms of the, the, the size of the numbers back in 2021. Uh, yeah, 2022. Sorry, when the take no, it was 2021 when the takeover got yeah. approved. It seems like it seems like it was a lot longer, but because we've had so many good times. But I have to start off with that question in particular, Aaron. You know, a certain amount before 2025, I, I think like is it a trillion pounds or trillion dollars? Sorry, they want that's what their prediction is going to be, and it could be two to three trillion by 2030. Mind-boggling numbers. Mind-boggling. If we thought 650 million. Uh, $650 billion is mind-boggling. It's going to be absolutely even crazier than that in the, in the years to come, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we've all seen the graphs about Newcastle's wealth compared to City and United and, you know, how it's sort of blown them out the water. And, you know, Saudi Arabia, I know people who have been over there and they say the stuff that they're doing out there is just unbelievable. They are really trying to become an absolute, you know, force and they've got the funds to do it. So, you know, Saudi Arabia as a country is going to get richer and richer. I'm sure Newcastle United as a football club is going to follow suit. Um, so, yeah, I think we're in safe hands. I mean, if it wasn't for financial fair play, we could literally spend like a billion pounds on Messi. Or, but obviously, financial fair play is what it is now. There are sponsorship deals to be renewed, and I'm expecting some newfangled sponsorships for, I don't know, training socks or something official training third kit gear sponsor or something, because that's what they seem to be doing at the minute to increase that revenue. Um, what are you expecting from this summer? We'll come on to signings and stuff later on, but from a commercial standpoint. 
Yeah, look, you, you've hit the nail on the head that they've recently they've done a lot of sort of small deals. Peter Silverstone, who's came in as the as the CCO, has, has you know worked his magic on that front. But you know, deals with Monster Energy for stadium presence aren't going to you know reinvent the wheel when it comes to the money that it's going to bring in for Newcastle. So um, the big one, you know, is getting rid of Fun AA. I think that is you know whoever they choose to be um, the new kit sponsor. Which could be the summer, you know, if the Premier League bring in rules um, regarding gambling sponsorship and stuff like that. Um, Darren Eels has obviously spoken about, you know, potentially selling the name and rights to St James's Park, which I'm sure would split opinion. But we've seen, you know, elsewhere, it's a huge revenue driver for the likes of Arsenal and, and Manchester City. And then, you know, um, potentially further down the line, when this cast ordeal ends, you're probably going to look at, you know, Adidas returning. Um, Darren Eels and Silverstone have got you know fantastic relationships with Adidas from their work at Atlanta and their work at Arsenal. So I think in two years' time, the entire football club sponsorship-wise will just look you know completely different. It's it's, it's funny you should mention the funny eight because that was my my next question in regards to that because you're quite right from reading what the Premier League would like to do and it looks like it's going to go ahead is that gambling uh, companies won't be sponsors on the on the on the shirts of football clubs which. Obviously, would eliminate Fun Eight Eight. Obviously, we've had other companies over the years. I think Wonga was the one that sticks out over the Ashley years. If I'm being honest, but I think Sam is quite right. It is very interesting to see who we go with. I think obviously Saudi Airlines have obviously been mentioned. I think it obviously will be something Saudi Arabia based. Of course, it will be. Um, but you mentioned that the naming rights as well. St James's Park. Now, I think that will split opinion. I, I'm. I don't want St James's Park to be changed, and I always, I would always know it as St James's Park. However, if it was, for example, St James's Park powered by Monster Energy, for example, I would, that would be the, that's kind of like that's kind of, that's like oh. as an example. That's my limit. That's my limit. It has to. It's, if it's something like powered by whoever the sponsor is, that's my personal. Limit. Powered by. I don't know what your. I don't, I don't know what your personal opinion is on this, Alan. Uh, if I'm honest, I think I'd prefer to go back to Sports Direct Arena rather than it be the, the Monster Energy Arena. But um, no, look, I, I think I think as I said, it, it will split opinion. Um, the one thing I will say is that I think the club will do it, you know, very sensitively, as they've done with stuff like safe standing and, and tickets for the final. They'll go to the fans and they'll sort of put it to, you know, not a vote, but they'll go and get opinions as to whether you know there's the appetite for it. Is there going to be sort of a big rebellion against it? Nothing like what we saw, you know, nearly a decade ago when Mike Ashley just sort of, you know, did what he wanted and changed it um, without any say. I agree, you know, with you, Johnny. I think to me, it'll always be St James's Park. Um, and I think for as long as they stay in that venue, which, you know, it looks like they're going to do, it'll be St James's Park to everyone. I think the only reason, you know, Arsenal have, have made so much money out of it is because they moved to a brand new stadium. It was a brilliant opportunity to, you know, bring in 60, 70 million every season from it. Um so yeah, very. I thought it was very, very interesting when Darius actually came out publicly and said that they were they were considering doing it. I would buy. <laughs> the sponsor in the electric. It just doesn't make sense. But that, I, I, I'm like Hughes. I don't. I don't like it. But the difference being is this time, like obviously when Mike Ashley did it, he was doing it for himself, and and for peddling his tat. Whereas this time, you would expect it to be to generate revenue and have that commercial aspect for it, which I can kind of get on board with, but it doesn't make, it doesn't sit well. Like I don't want 
the Saudi Airlines Stadium or something along those lines. It just the, like you say, Aaron. Like it's different with a new stadium, but like with a traditional stadium, you you kind of rubbishing hundreds of years of of, of just tradition. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think there'll be a lot of fans that actually, you know, do actually put up a, a fuss about it and. When you think about it, it'll probably be. I mean, let's just say it was to go ahead this summer and Darius came out and, and unveiled the plans. It could arguably be the first thing that the ownership do that the fans really, really disagree with. You know, up until now, have they really put a foot wrong in terms of the, the decisions they've made off the pitch? I'd probably say no. It's certainly going to, you know, cause debate. Um, but I think, as you say, Sam, it, it, it's it's for the good of the football club at the end of the day. Um, the way football's going, you know, I think in 10, 15 years, pretty much every single stadium in the country will be, you know, powered by something or or, or other. So very, very interesting, yeah. You're never going to let this down. I'm never going to let this down, am I? <laughs> no, because it, 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 it makes it seem like Alan Partridge when he's like travel reports sponsored by Castrol. <laughs> like that, it, it just it just makes it sound cheesy. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure that'll be... Um... An interesting debate amongst other motor oils are available, by the way, not just customers, <laughs> unless they sponsor us. Yeah, <laughs> email us, email us. Yes, <laughs> um, uh, look, it is going to be fascinating commercially. I think we, 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 I think everybody's kind of expressed on this podcast, like it's, it's going to be incredible to see what's going to happen. I always ask guests towards the end of the show, Aaron, what's going to happen in the next five years, and everyone kind of starts with their facial expression of like. I don't know. It's kind of like it's, it's just it, they, they can't almost imagine it. But I, I suppose we couldn't imagine what it was going to be like this season so far. A cup final, um, sitting just outside the top four. I, I do want to touch on the cup final because I want to get your opinion on this because I felt, and this is just my personal. I don't know whether Sam agrees. I felt the club and the team didn't have the belief on the pitch to win that game against Manchester United. That was my personal opinion. I think they enjoyed the fact that they were there. I mean, the fans certainly did at Trafalgar Square. But when watching the game, I just thought there was a belief lacking that Newcastle could actually get over the line. And I don't think they'd let that happen again if that happened in 12 months' time. I don't know where you stand on that. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a huge degree of truth to that. And, and I, I don't think it's necessarily you know, anybody's fault that that happened. I think it's just natural, you know, Newcastle United are going at their first cup final in, you know, 20 years. The the cup final came at a really, really bad time in terms of Newcastle's form and Manchester United's form. I think if that game had been played in December before the World Cup, you know, Newcastle would have stood a much better chance. I, I got the feeling being down in London for the full weekend, you know, we hardly saw a Manchester United fan the entirety of Saturday, even on the Sunday morning walking up the ground, it was just a sea of black and white on Wembley Way. And I just think for Newcastle, and I wrote about this after after the game, for Newcastle, it was sort of just about getting there. They've waited so long for this, you know, cup final. So many fans got to experience a weekend in London supporting their team. The result, of course, mattered, but there'll be so many finals to come down the years. And as you say, Johnny, I think the next time they do go into a cup final, They'll be so much more prepared. They'll have so much more belief. They'll probably have a much much better squad at their disposal. Um, so I think it was it was a you know a combination of things. I think you're absolutely spot on um, with your sort of assessment of it. 
But I think, as I say, there's going to be so many cup finals to come, you know, down the years. Hopefully, we don't have to wait as long as we waited this time around. I hope so, because up until the players come out on the pitch, you, you wouldn't have changed a thing about the whole weekend. I mean, as you well know, Aaron, me and Johnny were leathered at King's Cross. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, like you say, there wasn't a Man United fan in sight and it was a complete Newcastle United takeover of, of London. So it, it's a difficult one. Like everything was 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 all set, and it, like you say, I completely agree. It just came everything in the lead up on the pitch with Nick Pope, and it just came at the complete wrong time in the season. And and Sunday, obviously, this will probably come out after after we beat Man United two 0 at St James's Park. Um, should be a lot different. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, Newcastle have obviously refound their form a bit again. I think an international break has came at the worst time for them, just as it did with the World Cup. Um, just as they were starting to find their feet, Manchester United have got a few little niggles. Um, you know, especially in the midfield, a couple of people missing. So, and I think just being back at St James's Park, you know, they, they've proven over the years they can beat the top teams there, and I, and I think they'll give it a right good go Sunday. Um, but yeah, on the cup final, I think. Everybody who went down or anyone I've spoken to had a fantastic weekend, you know, regardless of the result. For that 90 minutes, it was obviously painful and, and, you know, it wasn't how anybody wanted it to go. But I think the Saturday being there, Trafalgar Square, the Sunday morning, the excitement, you know, it's it's whetted the appetite for, you know, years to come. We spoke, Aaron, after you did, uh, after you were part of the, the Chronicle team that went to uh, the Dolphin, I believe it was called, wasn't it, next to King's Cross, and you did the... Uh... Obviously, that show with uh, with uh, with Bob Moncur, and I remember speaking to you on the tube when we were on the way to Trafalgar Square, and I asked you the question do you? before. Do you really yeah, remember? I do, I do, I do. I, do. Mm. I was remember asking you a question just before you, just before you sort of lost your memory. Just, mm. just because I, I remember I was like a giddy little school kid walking up to Trafalgar Square. I left Lee and Sam with the big crate of whatever beer we had at the time. But the, there was a question I did ask you on the tube. I don't know if you can remember. You probably can't. I said, what's the difference like for you? Because you're going to be a reporter, being a, you're a fan as well, but your job is to report on this particular game. Can you enjoy yourself as much on the Saturday night? Can you, do you have to get your, essentially your professional head on early, early morning, Sunday morning, going, right, I need to be prepared. It's like any job. You need to tend to have a couple of, like loads of beers the night before on a school night, if we're putting it like that in inverted commas. <laughs> but what was your kind of, professional approach going into the game uh, against Manchester United, remember? Um, yeah, look, we got all sort of the important work stuff out the way early doors Saturday. We got the podcast done. And, and look, I, I did have quite a few beers at Trafalgar Square. I'm not going to lie about that at Saturday night. But um, obviously, as you say, Sunday morning, you know, the work heads on. We travelled to Wembley early, had Andrew Musgrove, you know, sticking a camera in my face at every avenue, making YouTube videos and, and Facebook videos. And then, you know, we were probably in the Wembley press box for about one o'clock with, with, you know, three hours before kickoff. During the game, you know, I was sat next to Keith Downey, who isn't even in Newcastle United supporter. He was getting very animated as if he was, you know, sitting there as a fan. Um, and I was probably the same, you know, you try and keep your, you know, your, your journalist head on, not your fan head. But it was really, really hard because, you know, I, I've covered games at Wembley before for, for obviously clubs that aren't Newcastle United and, and it was great, but it was just a surreal experience actually being there you know covering your castle and 
I will admit there was probably a you know big lump in my throat when the national anthem was being sung. And honestly, I think if they'd won it, I would have really struggled to keep my composure. I think I would have been you know typing on the laptop through teary eyes. But fantastic experience, and, and you know hopefully I get to do it again in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's what baffled me with Man United fans. Like there was. Because we we all right, we didn't leave straight away, did we, Johnny? But like, we we left relatively quickly. Um, and there was Man United fans on our tube because they're on the tube home. Um, it was just bizarre. Like, if we had a won it, we'd still be there now. Like, tops off and 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 everything. It's just it baffled me somewhat, and it just goes to show that there is something different about being a Newcastle United fan and, and belonging to the, to this football club. And um, of course we all know where it went wrong is when you said the day before that you'd start Wilson over Isak. So it all went downhill after that. You know what it is? I'm, I'm really surprised that it's taken us 16 minutes for you to bring that up. I thought that would have been inside 30 seconds, if I'm honest, but um, I'll admit you, you, were, you were very much right on that, on that occasion. Yeah, that's all I needed. <laughs> Just going to clip that up. <laughs> it's, it's funny actually well, I'll mention Alex Isaac now because I think Sam wants his two minutes of fame where he goes oh, I said Isaac was going to be amazing and uh, I wanted him in the summer I, I, to be honest with you Aaron I, do want, I don't watch foreign football I, I think like I said I think the Premier League is the best league in the world that, that's kind of my bread and butter if I'm being honest um, but Sam <clears throat> excuse me did mention Isaac a lot at times I remember when the, the news broke by I think it was in Spain that it got broken that um, that a bit had been accepted. I had to break the news to Sam. <laughs> I was on my way to um, Newcastle. Oh, we yeah, I was at work, wasn't I? I missed it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I remember so I, that, I remember, no? I remember texting Sam saying, looks like we got your boy. And he was like, what? I said, we just agreed to deal with eyes with Isaac. And he was like, no way, no way. <laughs> but, um, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I told you to F off. <laughs> <laughs> I said no. it on Sky, though, that he, he would be our... Aguero equivalent and he's not there yet but I think Aaron would you agree that signs are starting to show oh absolutely and it is funny because I think obviously we were in the Dolphin before and and Sam you were in the minority who wanted Isaac to start you know even though Callum Wilson was going through that you know poor run of form the consensus was still you know let's stick to what we know and play him and you know we're sat here just over a month later and I don't think there's many Newcastle United fans who you know, would really want Callum Wilson to come back in. It, it, it's really, really, obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing. If Isaac hadn't have got that injury at the start of the season, I think Newcastle United would be a lot higher in the league. And that's obviously saying something. I think he's slowly but surely adapting to the Premier League. Um, he's frighteningly good with the ball at his feet. He's, he's slender, but he's just, you know, very, very strong. Is he 100% fit? I'm not too sure. Eddie Howe keeps telling us that he's not. And then he keeps running himself from the ground. So I'm not I'm not too sure. But look, he's 23. He's already, you know, proven, you know, a very, very good Premier League striker. I think once he starts to hit, you know, 25, 26, just absolutely ridiculous. I think that's a good thing, though, as well, Aaron. If he's not 100% fit and he's doing this at whatever percentage Eddie Howe thinks he is at now, Let's say 60, 70% for argument's sake. There's still more to come from this lad. And I think that's I think that's going to be the really, really interesting point. But in terms of options now, we have got a bit more options. I know we sold Chris Wood, but that was 
it was a good deal all around, let's be brutally honest, at Newcastle United, we couldn't turn that down. Um, but when you've got Callum Wilson coming off the bench, Callum Wilson coming off the bench, where, let's be honest, it used to be X, Y, and Z. I don't, Do want, I to, I don't, want, to, I don't want to disrespect players, but that, that was, that, that's what it was 12 months ago. It was Dwight Gale coming on for Callum Wilson with 10, 15 minutes ago just to run the clock down, or five minutes to go just to run the clock down. And now it's a different kettle of fish. That that's also a great prospect for Eddie Howe. He has got a lot of options, and you throw into you throw Anthony Gordon into the mix. You throw Anthony Maxman, Miguel Armoron in those attacking places. I haven't even talked about the, the midfield yet. There's, you've got Joe Linton potentially wanting to get back in, and would you drop Joe Linton when he's when he's on the form that he's in? So, competition for places for Eddie Howe is something that yes, he's probably going to have to get used to throughout throughout his tenure at Newcastle. But if he can get used to it now, then make make, make it a bit easier for him in years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think even if you, you go back to the start of this season when they were a bit unlucky with injuries in certain positions, you look at the bench now, it's so much stronger than it was, you know, six, seven months ago. I think, look, let's just fast forward a year. You're probably going to be looking at the likes of Dan Byrne on the bench, maybe even Fabian Scher on the bench, long staff coming off the bench. You know, if they bring in six or seven players in the summer, you know, if, if they're sort of building this big squad for a European push, that bench next year is all of a sudden going to be filled with players that are probably starting right now. So it will, you know, Amanda Stavely's made it clear that it will take a couple of transfer windows for Newcastle to get where they want to be. But in terms of what they've got now, as you say, even just bringing Anthony Gordon off the bench, you know, £40 million signing, they've done fantastically well um, spending-wise. And I think, you know, if they can keep, you know, the recent run of injuries has been quite good compared at the start of the season. If they can keep that going between now and May, they've got a huge chance of finishing in the top four. Yeah, massive. Um, I'm looking ahead to the summer. Um, a player that um, you're wrong about again, um, because you want him, uh, is Scott McTominay. Um, explain yourself. Look, me and Andrew spoke about this on the, on the Chronicle podcast the other day, and I just can't understand the negativity around it. Yes, I get he's not, you know, a flashy sexy player he's not going to get you 15 goals a season but he improves that team you know I don't know what you think but I think he's better than Longstaff which is if Newcastle United are going to be are going to be playing Champions League football next season or even Europa League football they're going to need a huge squad and I think adding Scott McTominay who's played 200 games for Manchester United under four different managers across six seven years is a very very good deal if it could be done for the right price and can I just say, can I just say that Sam Mulner was watching the Everything is Black Mike podcast the other day and made the claim that Jeff Hendrick would be his preferred. No. I... Uh, oh, is he going to back on this? He said he would prefer Jeff Hendrick. And look, no disrespect to Jeff Hendrick, but come on, Sam. Uh, yeah, that comment didn't get read out, but I saw you giggling at it, which um, filled me with joy. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate Scott McTominay's just had an absolute worldy couple of games for Scotland as well. Big, big frame, big unit. I don't know. I just, I just can't see it, and I don't know if he is, if he is that good and that capable. Why would Man United want to sell to, in essence, a rival now? Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that, and and you know, I got quite a lot of you know negative comments for saying that I wouldn't mind him at Newcastle, and a lot of people made that point. Um, but look, as I said on Monday, I bet. Some Arsenal fans were thinking that about Gabby Jesus and Zinchenko in the summer. Oh, why are we buying, you know, City or Liverpool or Man United's rejects? Well, 
because they've been there and done it. So, look, is he is he the player that I want more than anyone in the world? No, but do I understand the sort of the hysteria around potentially signing him? I just don't get it. I think I think he's a decent player. Yeah, I think it's certainly going to cause debate. Um, Anthony Gordon did as well, though, didn't he? Yeah, that's that's, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Look, the Scott called Scott will certainly cause debate. That's all. That's all we will say. I think I, I, I'm kind of okay about it. If he was, to, if he was to sign, I can kind of understand it. I think I always would say, would he, does he improve our starting eleven or best eleven? I, I would, I would argue to say no on that at this moment in time. But under Eddie Howe, getting the right coaching, maybe a new you know, lease of life in a different area. If he has a couple of good performances early on, Newcastle fans will forget about the fact that he probably played for Man United and it happens. It does happen. The same Anthony Gordon. You know, the reception yeah. he and Harris Nashby got before that cup semi-final second leg, it was it was almost forgotten about that he was his dirty little rat who played for Everton. Like let's be honest, that's how a lot of people thought that's a lot of people thought about Anthony Gordon beforehand. Um I think though that particular position isn't Newcastle's priority in my in my opinion. I still think the Musa Diaby link, if that is true, in terms of a winger, I know Alberon's been amazing, but I just think there's a gap there for an unbelievable winger to help Isaac even more. Because if if you're looking at St. Maxon's stats, they're not good enough. They're just not good enough. Great player when he wants to be, but they're not good enough, Aaron. What's the latest with this Musa Diaby link? Is there any truth in it? And does it depend yeah. on Newcastle finishing the top four? Look, I think that's going to be a huge factor, not just for the Diaby deal, but I think for a lot of the targets that they're probably going to eye. The calibre of players they're going to be able to attract if they're just fourth, not fifth, is quite scary. Diaby himself has came up plenty of times and said that you know the reason he stayed at Bayer Leverkusen is because they got Champions League football. I think there's going to be a lot of suitors, not just Newcastle, but they really, really liked him last summer. You know, The money just wasn't there to do it. Bayer didn't want to sell. Um I I think personally the priority is probably one more midfielder, but I, I completely agree that a right-sided attacker is also you know very, very high on the list. Big fan of Miggy. I think he's done fantastically well, but until he can start to show that he can do that, you know, for a full season, not just four or five months, I think there is a gap there that he potentially loses his space to somebody like Diaby or you know, a, a player of you know real, real quality. I personally would absolutely love to see Mr. Diaby there. Um, Chabi Alonso, the new Leverkusen man, just is very, very keen to keep him. But I think Newcastle will definitely go back in this summer. Mm, wouldn't say no to that. Um, I, I think since January and whatnot, we've been we've been told that Newcastle want uh, a centre mid, and Madison's a name that's just not going away. But I'd like to think. I personally would want to see a defensive midfielder that can sit in front of the back four to allow Bruno to get forward a bit more. Um, so, so whilst you were slamming me for wanting Jeff Hendrick back on on, on your podcast uh, earlier in the week, my, my serious comment, which was also not read out, Mr Musgrove, if you're watching, um, I, I name-dropped two names that I want um, in Ibrahim Sangari and Sandro Tonali. They would obviously cost a lot more than Scott McTominay would, I would imagine. But is the thinking that maybe it's only going to be one, maybe two big money signings and the rest, they'll be looking for value elsewhere? 
Yeah, look, I think I think one thing's for certain that there's definitely money to spend and they purposely kept their powder quite dry in January. They could quite easily have went out and rushed and got another centre midfielder to replace um, John Joe Shelby. They could have easily, you know, gone and got a last-minute deal to try and bring someone in that was going to be sort of a like-for-like like replacement with Chris Wood. They know that this summer is absolutely huge. If they finish in the top four, they need, you know, pretty much a new six, seven players, I'd say, of real quality brought in to not only strengthen the first team, but to strengthen the bench. I can see big money spent on a centre midfielder. I think they'll potentially go out and buy a real top-class left-back, you know, for as good as Dan Burns being, he, he's just not sort of a natural there. Um, but they'll definitely try and do it sensibly. I don't think they'll, you know, go absolutely overboard with, with the spending, but I think there'll be they'll, there's there's money to spend it they need to spend it if, if they're finishing anywhere near the top four it's uh, I, I, we'll go back on that top four debate in a second but i think the difference is this time in this summer we've got a dan ashworth and a darren eels in our back pocket who are two very experienced uh two two experienced people in their in their in, in, in their obviously in their field and I think you can tell that everybody just trusts them. And I think if people, if other clubs talk to them, they know they're having a serious conversation and a professional conversation where it probably wasn't always like that in previous regimes, which I'll not go on about. However, the top four race is heating up just a little bit. Obviously, this has been recorded before Newcastle took on Manchester United, uh, Everton versus Tottenham and Manchester City versus Liverpool. We'll obviously throw, we'll throw Brighton in the mix as well because we don't know how they're going to get got it. Got, you got to. Yeah. I think they've got Brentford, who are also on the same points as, as Brighton as well, and Liverpool, so we, we will mention that as well. For me, I'm not too necessarily concerned about Spurs, if I'm honest, because they're just so inconsistent. I've got the saying, and Sal knows exactly what I'm going to say, Spurs are being Spursy. <laughs> they are, they will. I've said that when they were, when they, I think any time they, they lose a game or they concede a goal, it's, it's that's the same. So, for me, I think it's Man United, Newcastle, Liverpool. They're the three. And obviously two can only fit into those two positions. Especially if Newcastle can get a win over Manchester United. They'll actually be third for at least 24 hours. Now, I'm hoping that's the case when you listen to this podcast, boys and girls. Um, with your experienced professional head on, Aaron, how likely is it that Newcastle finish in the top four? And is it important that the next three games are crucial because Liverpool take on City, Chelsea... And Arsenal all in one week. If Newcastle can say pick up six out six points, seven points out of nine, and Liverpool only pick up say one to four, is that enough, or do Newcastle have to be looking at, at, at a certain target in those three games? Look, I, I think I know exactly what you're saying about Spurs. I don't, you know, from a Newcastle point of view, it couldn't be it couldn't be going more wrong there for Spurs and right for Newcastle. You know, Conte slagging the players, then leaving their director who's trying to replace them, getting a worldwide ban. You know, Newcastle really should be trying to put Spurs away. Next month is huge because, as you say, Liverpool's one of games. Newcastle have obviously got big, big fixtures both home and away. This time next month, we could generally be sitting there here saying, you know, they've already guaranteed qualification for at least, you know, the conference or maybe Europa. Um with my, you know, experience head on, as you say, um, I personally think we'll finish in the top four. I think Liverpool have stuttered this season. They can't find a rhythm. 
Spurs, as you say, are being very Spursy. Brighton are Brighton, are, you know, do actually worry me because of this run of games that they're putting together. Um, but I think Newcastle United, as we said earlier in the show, they've just found their feet at the right time. If they can pick up where they left off after you know this warm weather trip, which they usually do, you know, every time they go away on these sort of breaks, they do tend to come back and, and actually hit the ground running. So, you know, I'm going to sit here and, and, I, and I personally think they will finish in the top four. I mean, what a week in store because after this couple of weeks of nothingness with the international break, then bam, 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 three games in what, six days? Man United, West Ham away, Brentford away. That's a huge week. It could either be looking very, very good or it could be fizzling out again. Um, do you think whilst we've not had European football to play this season, we've not had FA Cup football to play in the second half of this season, so the fatigue element shouldn't really be there, but the problem is how doesn't really rotate his squad that much. Would that worry you in any way? As we get to the to the kind of one last push, potentially, as you say, I think they're in a you know very privileged position to only have the the Premier League to focus on. But a lot of these players, as you say, haven't been rotated, have carried you know a lot of little niggles. I mean, Fabian Share every single game is the walking wounded. Dan Burns had that shoulder strapped up for about two years. Callum Wilson, for whatever reason, just can't you know seem to shake whatever sort of viral or, or niggle he's had in the last couple of um, months. I think you look at that team and and there's a lot of tired bodies there uh, and not a lot of depth to come in, as we saw it at Sheffield uh, Wednesday in the FA Cup. So, yeah, look, it, on one hand, it, it is a concern, but I think, as you say, only having Premier League games to focus on. Once they get this sort of three games and six games out the way, it's looking a lot sort of lighter in April and, and in towards May. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. I've I've been banging the drum about Brighton. I have to be honest. I think not many teams have really worked them out this year. They might have lost games this season, but they've never been battered this season. I think their heaviest defeats three one. They tend like, to fizzle out though, don't they? They normally like shape up like they're ever going to have. They're going to do something, but they tend yeah. to fizzle out. But we've got them to play at home as well already, haven't we? I, I think I think the, the thing with Brighton, I think that they might fizzle out is because they've got this FA Cup semi final. And don't be surprised if they beat Manchester United, by the way, because if because Man United are playing like Europa League games, and that's not a gimme for Man United. As much as they probably make it out with their fan pages and fan groups and whatever, saying that oh yeah, we're, we're going to be taking on Man City in the FA Cup final. I know Sheffield United will have a, a part to say about that, but yeah, I keep an eye on Brian. I just don't think anyone's really working that. We were looking to get a point at the Amex in the second like, second game of the season, but <laughs> it was it, it is, yeah, it, it was it was it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, but. Um, you talk about the walking wounded. I know Sam hates the international break. I actually think it came at a good time. I know we won two on the chart with Forest and Wolves, and I and I completely understand it. Saying, "Well, you want to keep that momentum going." I actually think it'll help the players long term. I think you go into the maybe May onwards, where probably going to have to play, you know, five games, five games in eight. Well, probably six or seven games in eight, or maybe even six games in a. It may be in April. I think that might just help them. The fact that 90% of these players have had two weeks off, like Bruno not getting picked for Brazil, was a massive, massive bonus environment, like as a biased Newcastle fan. Um, do you, how, how well has that warm weather training camp gone from what you know, Aaron? Do you think Eddie Howe got what he wanted from that, or do you think do you think he would have liked maybe a bit more time in Dubai? I'm sure like everybody does nowadays. Yeah, I look, I, as I said earlier, these warm weather trips, Eddie Howe 
insist that they're football related. And I'm not too sure whether going to Saudi Arabia is really football related, but they always seem to do really well after them. You know, after the um, the last game, you know, Eddie Howe give them you know three or four days break. We saw obviously like say Bruno and Jolinton jetting off for their families, which is obviously good for them. Um, as far as we're aware, no new injury doubts. I'm not too sure whether Anthony Gordon's going to be back, but you know the break certainly done him good, given that he's you know already sort of touch and go for Man United on Sunday. Um, I agree completely with your point. I think with the runner games that we've got coming up, it can be a blessing. I'm just always wary of them sort of interrupting a good runner form for you know two weeks of not playing, but. Um, if they pass anything to go by, they'll, they'll come back ready, and, and I'm sure Eddie Howell have them, you know, drilled as he always does. Yeah, I saw Bruno jet off to the Maldives for a couple of days before yeah. heading out to to, to Dubai. I mean, imagine just jetting off to the Maldives just for a couple of days, yeah, just just, just for a weekend in the Maldives. I mean, it, it's a far cry from having a city break in Stoke, <laughs> but but you know, fair enough, he deserves it. God love him. Um, with Almiron. Lost his place against Wolves, came on super sub, made that impact. Um, alluding to new signings and whatnot, I think that may be his future role as the squad evolves and more strength in depth and competition for places. How are we expecting him to be fit for these run of games, three games in six days, or is he not there yet? And does he walk just straight back into the team now? Um, you know, from what I understand, he's he's been training with the team this week. Um, he stayed back when they were in Dubai and did sort of solo stuff. Does he walk back into the team? If I'm honest, I don't think he does. I think this team's been playing so well. And I personally love Almiron coming off the bench because, you know, who if you're a defender who's played 70 minutes, you're shattered. The player you don't want to be having to chase around is Miguel Almiron. So... Jacob Murphy, for all you know, myself and a lot of Newcastle fans have probably given stick over the years. He's arguably earned his spot in this team. I think he's, you know, looked very, very um, dangerous in recent games. You know, despite not sort of finding the net or assisting, I think he's looked very, very positive. Um, I think the real question about who starts is actually down the other side because with Joe Linton returning, do you play him down the left? Do you stick him in the middle and sort of drop? Long stuff out. I don't think you can really drop Willock out. Um, so for me, I, I, I don't think Miggy comes straight back in, no. And I think that's absolutely fine. I think having a player of his quality off the bench is fantastic. As you say, Sam, I think, you know, six months to a year down the line, that probably will be his role. But, you know, that's just a sign of the squad getting much better. That's what you want. That is what you want. You, we've been talking, we're, we're talking about incomings. We've been talking about loads of incomings. I'm sure you will be asked thousands and thousands of times, Aaron, over the summer that who we're buying, who we're getting, X, Y, and Z. But for all these incomings, there's going to be departures. Now, for me, I think we'll see a few departures, but I think there may be one or two surprise departures as well along the way. Could one of those, one or two of those su- surprise departures include Alan St. Maxim? Yes, most definitely. I think... Um... For all that, he used to be the absolute go-to man in this team. He just, for whatever reason, it isn't working. He looks restricted, I think, in any how team. When he's sort of, you know, got to be a team player and he's got to defend and, you know, he isn't just allowed to take his man on four or five times. He's another one who came back into the team um, and then, you know, has, has sort of fallen back out of it again. 
two years ago, it seemed sort of unfathomable that he would go and Farnham would sort of be okay with it. I think if, if you've got a decent offer in the summer, is anybody really going to complain? As you said at the top of the show, Johnny, his numbers aren't good enough. He doesn't score enough goals. Um, What's a decent offer? What? So they, they paid, what, 16, going up to 20 for him. Would you get, would you get 30 million from him? 40 million? I, I would I hope so. How much did we pay for Anthony Gordon? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, 40, 40 mil, I think. I think he's a better player than Anthony Gordon, personally, but I just think 40 million is a huge outlay for an attacker that doesn't really score many goals. Um, if, if the right offer came in, I, I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't be, you know, instantly turning it down. I think he's been fantastic for us over the years. I just don't think it's going to work in this system for him. And I don't know what you boys think about it because I think this is another one that will split opinion, but for me, I just think he, he, he's had so many chances in this team and, and for whatever reason, he just can't take it. Uh, you're wrong, but... Uh... <laughs> no, I just... I don't know, I love him. And, like, he needs to stay fully fit and get firing. I think the most frustrating thing about his whole Newcastle career was after that Wolves game where he tore City a new backside. Yeah. Scored that absolutely world-class volley to equalise against Wolves and then gets injured. And then he's out of the team. And then he can't get back in the team because we're playing well. (sighs) It's there. It is there. And I'm not convinced about that he can't fit into an Eddie Howe team. I I just want to see him succeed so bad because... The love he has for the club is is pretty unrivaled, considering when he joined us and how he stuck with us and how much how many times he's got us out of the the brown stuff when things were were going bad. No, I, I completely get that, and, I, and you know maybe it is recency bias that I'm sort of playing him down. He's done fantastic things in this team. He was you know one of the few shining lights in the Steve Bruce era, um, as you say, dragged us out of the mire a lot of times. But for me, I just think. I get what you're saying. He was fantastic at the start of the season. He came back to fitness. He was really, really good for three or four games about a month or two ago before the cup final. But then it just and then it just goes again. And I just think until you, if 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 he plays consistently well between now and the end of the season, fair enough. But I just think without St maximum, you can never guarantee that you're going to get the same maxi every week. If we saw the same maxi that we saw against City every other week, you'd be laughing. But I just. I think he goes missing in this team too often. I don't think anyhow trusts him in some games, I have to be honest. And I'm not going to say frustrating because I think that's the wrong word, but I don't know what the right word is. When we played Man United at Wembley and Diogo Dallo got taken off at half time and Aaron Wambasaka came on, I knew that St. Maxim was not getting the better of him. I just knew he wasn't getting the better of him. Aaron Wambasaka, love him or hate him, Man United. Is a very very good one-on-one defender because he can get a good tackle and he very rarely loses those battles. And I just knew that it didn't matter what Tim Maxim was going to do. Unfortunately, Aaron Roberts like was going to have his number, which was a bit frustrating. Bit frustrating. And to be fair, I had a pretty good view that was right next to where on I was on his side for, for where I was sitting for the game at, at, at Wembley. But the the one thing I would mention, obviously, you're saying forty million for Maxi. Is there anybody else? Anybody else that we're thinking? Oh, that could be a bit of a surprise because. I'm looking at. I'm still looking at some players that Rafa had, i.e. Dubravka, i.e. Lascelles, i.e. 
Who else is there? Once the well, Kieran Clark's, I think, obviously going to be out of contract. Jack Hendrick's still going to be Isaac there. Hayden might have to come back because Norwich aren't going to get promoted, really, are they? So Hayden could be back yeah. in the squad. They've still got a year left, hasn't he? So, yeah. So that's going to be interesting again. But these are players that haven't got a future. Another player that hasn't got a future is Ryan Fraser, by the sound of it. And he's still in contract in 2025. I'm sure that he'll be one of the three, one of the first players looking for a move in the summer as well. Yeah, um, you know, really, really surprising that Ryan Fraser didn't leave in, in January. You know, I was pretty much told that he was all set to go and then Newcastle didn't let him. And then all of a sudden, Eddie House dropped him. I don't think it's a very, it's a very pleasant um, relationship that they've got anymore. In terms of outgoings, the one thing, I, I, it's not an issue, but I think the one worry is that they don't have many sellable assets. Maxi is probably one you could get a, a good return for. Other than that, Dubravka, you're not going to get too much if he goes. A lot of players that are going to come back um, or go, oh, or you're not going to get pennies if that. Do you then look to you know someone like Miggy if you need to raise funds? And not that they're going to need to raise money, but if a good offer came in for Almiron, would they be tempted? If a good offer came in for Callum Wilson, would they be tempted? I don't know. I'd, I think there is going to be a lot of outgoings, but in terms of how much money they generate, it's it's not going to be a lot. No, we, we all know the the sort of obvious ones. You dumb it, you Gillespie's, um, Matt Ritchie, who I, th- I think we should mention separately because for me one of the most important Newcastle players from the past 10 years Absolutely Um, he's given us a lot of fantastic moments it's absolutely brilliant sitting so close to the pitch that that we do at St James's Park because all you can hear when he comes on the pitch is just him shouting at the ref at Newcastle players at how it's just absolutely fantastic Um. And yeah, I think he does deserve to be in a separate pile because he might not have the legs anymore, but he's been such a good servant and, and it will be really, really sad to see him go. He's doing his coaching badges at the club at the minute. Um, he's doing a lot of sort of work in and around the academy. So if he does decide to hang up his boots, I know he's probably a bit too young, but if he, if he does sort of maybe maybe he could stick around and, and sort of house team. Um but yeah, you're looking elsewhere. It's, it is the likes of Dummett, you know, Kieran Clark out of contract, Gillespie out of contract. Um, not too much in the way of sort of sellable assets. Remember the days of trying to sell Henry Silo? <laughs> <laughs> Never did, did we really? God knows, God knows. I think he's doing all right. Um, <laughs> we've, talked, we've talked briefly about Eddie Howe there. Is the only thing stopping Eddie Howe getting manager this season is if Mikel Arteta wins the league with Arsenal? Yeah, I think if, if Arsenal win the league, it's it's Arteta's. I think if Brighton somehow get top four, it, it's probably Deserbi's. Um, but other than that, I think he, he's a shoe in. I think Newcastle United get into a top four in a cup final and he doesn't win manager of the year. It's an absolute crime considering it's his first full season in the job. Um yeah, I think, as you say, I think it all depends on whether uh, Arsenal can last it out at the top. Just to, just to go back on something we mentioned before, because it involves Eddie Howe, is, is the Ryan Fraser thing. Because, like, people might forget, at the end of last season, he was ahead of Miggy. He, he was keeping Miggy out of the team, Ryan Fraser was. And then, all of a sudden, 
he's been frozen out and he was frozen out ages before like people really cottoned on to the fact that he had been frozen out so like do we know what's happened there is it like a bit of a recurrent to the whole Bournemouth thing they had or it, it just seems to have gone from hero to zero with Fraser very very quickly even though it's dragged out for a while now from from Fraser's side um what I've been told is that he feels he's been very unfairly treated as far as he is aware or as far as he feels he was still training the same he was still you know he wasn't refusing to play. He wasn't unhappy that he wasn't starting every week. Um, so it's very, very murky what's happened. I think in the summer, um, he will definitely have his say on the matter. I think he isn't going to go quietly when it does happen, um, you know, from what I've been told. But as you say, Sam, a couple of months ago, people started noticing that, oh, you know, he wasn't making match day squads. We were asking how about it. Eddie Howe was saying he's he's fully fit, which sort of gave the game away that something was up. But even as far back as November, really, he wasn't getting a look in, which is really, really strange. Um, maybe it's a re- reoccurring to the Bournemouth thing, but for, certainly from Fraser's side, he feels like um, he's sort of been unfairly treated. What's the word? What's the word? Um, I'm trying to think of the word. It'll come, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. I'm thinking of the fact that it was the it was the other way around essentially with with, with Ryan Fraser uh, at Bournemouth and when Eddie Howe needed him, he wasn't there, and now he doesn't need him. It's just, it's just, uh, just can't think of the word off the top of my head. And maybe Sam might think of it and let me know as soon as possible. As in, help us, Sam, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we've spoken to our previous guests, Aaron, for the last. Probably last couple last couple of weeks really. I was gonna say last couple of months, but probably last couple of weeks where we've asked who's the player of the season. Because everybody's pretty much said different players. I don't unless Sam can remember somebody that said the same player as somebody else, because there is just so many candidates right now. I know there'll probably be loads of honourable mentions, but can you put one name and go, he's my player of the season so far? <laughs> If I if good in my head, I think I'd maybe say Nick Pope. I know the last couple of weeks haven't gone as, as smoothly as we would have liked, but I think to have the best defence in the league, and not just by one or two goals, by we're talking seven or eight goals here, he would probably be mine. But then I think Miggy has got to be up there with a shout. I think a lot of people say that. Fabian Shares being an absolute rock. Botman has fitted in effortlessly. Joel Linton is an eight out of ten every week. You could have, as you say, and I'm sure you have when you've asked these guests five or six different answers. Um, and I don't really think you can really complain with any of them, to be honest. No, you said Bruno or Longstaff, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> or Trippier, yeah. or Trippier, yeah. or yeah, exactly. Nick or, Jamal, or Jamal LaSalle with them two yellow cards, two yellows, yeah. Does, does that like, kind of sort of final one for me, like the, the kind of dark art? that Newcastle have now kind of brought into their game, which, you know, all the top teams do. And and there must be some influence from uh, Diego Simeone with Eddie Howe. Um, does that kind of show, like, where we really, really want to be, that we're doing this already and trying to get under the top team's skin already? We look at the reception, like, cast your mind back to Anfield. Newcastle were booed off the pitch at Anfield for, yeah. for for essentially just 
doing what all the top teams do? I think I think I think it's shocked quite a few teams that you know nice Eddie Howe has turned up at their stadium and actually his team are you know just an absolute bunch of bastards. I think there's probably four or five different games you can sort of cast your mind back to. Liverpool being one, Arsenal away, Chelsea at home, where really you know Newcastle United were, were sort of seeing out games so well. I really, really love that Eddie Howe calls it game management rather than time-wasting or shithousery. I think it's a really nice way to sort of disguise it. Um, and look, I think there's so many players in this team that can do it. Trippier obviously, you know, learned from the master and Simeone. Lascelles has proven that he doesn't have to be on the pitch and he can, you know, have his uh, influence. Fabian Cher, Anthony Gordon, Jolinton is a really, really sneaky one as well. Oh, um, yeah. Which, which is what we, which is what we like. You know, we absolutely hate it when these players are playing against us. But when they're in a black and white shirt, you know, you absolutely love it. So I don't think there'll be any complaints from from any of us, really. Just finally, obviously, we're heading into April, probably into the early stages of April when this podcast comes out. Um, what has been the standout moment so far this season? God, there's been so many. Um, for me, I really, really loved the um, second semi-final at St James's Park. I just thought it was absolutely brilliant and so much riding on it, the way it panned out. Um, yeah, I think the Carabao Cup final would have would have absolutely taken it if they'd won. I think it's a very, very close second just being there. But yeah, that night, it's, I, love, I love it when St James's Park is like that on those evening games. Um, so yeah, I think that that just takes it for me. Is that your song? From that game, I loved how nervous we all were. Even though like Southampton needed two goals to take it to yeah. extra time, but we were all absolutely terrified yeah. with five minutes so, to go. We forgot that there were actually two goals ahead, and everyone thought yeah. that there was only a goal in it, really. Yeah, no, my, mine, Johnny, to answer your question, mine was Wolves at home for very personal reasons. That was my little lad's first game and Almiron got the winner right in front of us and Almiron's his favourite player. So, yeah, that that was, that was was um, that's going to take some beating. Well, he's going to have a good view against Southampton, isn't he, at the end of the month, so I'm sure we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the period of all the show. We always seem to talk to you in a very positive way when it comes to Newcastle United. So I hope the next time we do, we're in the Champions League. We've either finished third or fourth. Mr. DRB, James Madison are on their way. And we're talking about how Eddie Howe has managed the season. Yeah, I think I think you've got the crystal ball out there. I think that's that all sounds very, very feasible, to be honest. I think we'll, I'm sure we'll all take it. Sam, I can hear listen to this podcast. Oh, everyone knows what to do by now. The links are all in the description. If you're listening on iTunes, hit the five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Fantastic. From myself, Jonathan Greer, my co-host Sam Mulner, and today's guest, Aaron Stokes. We'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV.